Good evening, let's all stand. Together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Since I have been redeemed. I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. Of my Redeemer, Savior, King, since I have been redeemed. Since I have been redeemed. Since I have been redeemed. I will glory in His name since I have been redeemed. I will glory in my Savior. fellowship. We can worship you, sing praises to you, lift our hearts to you in prayer, look at your holy word. 
We are a blessed people. And I just pray that tonight as we gather, that it would be your Holy Spirit that stirs our souls and draws us nearer to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Let's continue in singing. Springs of living water and this world is not my home. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came. Lord, I 
I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 11 on down through, actually kind of 11, 12, and then I'm going to jump a little bit down to verse 16. And what we're going to look at is King Solomon, when the Lord asked him what he would want from God, he primarily wanted wisdom. If God would just give him wisdom to be able to rule his people, then he would feel as though he had all that he needed to be able to do what God's called him to do. The text I'm going to take us to is the text that shows us his first true test of his wisdom. And from that, we're going to learn some things, some wise lessons about friendship and some wise lessons about wisdom itself. So if you'll go with me to 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to read to you verses 11, 12, and then verses 16 down through 28. 1 Kings chapter 3. And God said unto him, Solomon, because thou hast asked this thing and has not, not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked for riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Jump down to verse 16. Then there came two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one, one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. 
There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in mine. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. And when I considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this said, no, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, the one saith, this is my son that liveth and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, nay, but thy son is the dead and my son is the living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we look into this text, and and as we contemplate and meditate upon wisdom, your wisdom, And we learn lessons from this event that transpired. I pray that you would help us to be people who seek to know your wisdom in our lives. For Lord, while we may never be a king, and we may never have in our hand the life or death of another soul, yet we face the things that are on our level, in our life, day by day. And we need your wisdom. I pray that you'd help us to learn from this text tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, as I started, King Solomon had asked for nothing but wisdom. And God acknowledged that. He said, absolutely, because you didn't ask for riches or a long life or for me to take the lives of your enemies... But because you simply asked for wisdom, I will give it. And he says, I will give you such wisdom that nobody ever before you, nor anybody ever after you, will ever have the wisdom as you have the wisdom. But then we come just a few verses down, and it's so amazing how God gives us the record of this tremendous test of Solomon's wisdom. And for us, we draw out of this some great lessons. And the first lesson I see are are wise lessons about friendship. Because no matter whether you're a king or whether you're two women living in a house who just had babies, friendship is a part of every one of our circumstances, our circle. 
whether it be at work or at home or in our neighborhood or at our school. We interact and we build relationships and we have friendships. Some are good and some not. And as we look at this text, we learn just a little bit about friendship. When you read verses 16, 17, and 18, you find these two women. It says, Then came two women that were harlots and the, uh, unto the king and stood before him. And the one said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. So we learn something about this friendship. This friendship is of two women who are of the same occupation. They're both prostitutes. These are women who would have very similar moral standards. Their lifestyle would be very similar. Their behaviors, the places they go, the things they do, the people who come in and out of the house, very similar. So you would think to yourself, well, these ladies must be good friends. I mean, they're so much alike. So certainly you would think that would build a good friendship. They're both women. I mean, there's certainly a camaraderie among women, isn't there? I mean, if you go to a restaurant and one needs to go to the restroom, another one gets up and goes to the restroom with them. There's a bond there, isn't there? They're going to stick together. Guys, you're no different. It's just different ways that we manifest friendships. But gender, you'd think, well, that, that really helps build a friendship, doesn't it? Well, maybe. Certainly, you see here, they have common livelihood, they have common gender, they live in the same house. You would think, well, two women living in the same house, they must be pretty good friends. That would be an indicator. I would assume that. And their circumstances are very similar. Both are brand new single moms. They've got brand new babies. I mean, what a bond that you would think there would be. What a, what a friendship you would think there would be for two women living in the same house, doing the same thing to make a living, with the exact same circumstances of going through a pregnancy, nine months of watching each other go through all the changes and all the growth, all the expectation. You would think there would be a true bond of friendship there. But we already read the rest of the story, didn't we? Certainly not what I would call a good friendship. Certainly not what I would call a good friend. So we learn a lesson in this, that it's not our gender, our livelihoods, where we, li where we live, or our circumstances that make a good friend. A good friend is a unique relationship. Oftentimes a hard-to-find relationship. And one that should be cherished and fostered and fed. As we come down a little bit farther about friendships, look with me at verses 19, 20, down through verse 22. Because I want you to see that friendships, you know, sometimes they are really put to the test. And we learn that about friendship and we live that in our, in our friendships one with another. It says in verse 19, And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. 
And when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. Now, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised the gal whose child died truly thought she was going to pull that off on the other woman. There's a three-day difference in the birth of the child, for one. But not only that, I don't know that I've yet a, new, a, a mom of a newborn baby yet that can't recognize their three-day-old baby. But then again, I, I, she did recognize it, didn't she? She looked, she, you know, at first she woke up, maybe she woke up in the dark and her baby was dead. But it says when, when morning came, when, when light came, she said, I considered this and I looked and this is not my child. Can you imagine the initial shock of having the child not be alive? And then as the light came to be, and you consider and look and examine, you realize somebody has switched your baby. That's incredible. But you know, life, life brings shocking things sometimes. Friendships can be tested in the most dramatic ways. So the woman whose child truly died, when she woke up and her child was dead, instead of going to her friend for comfort, for guidance, for care, she contrived a way by which to switch the babies. So tests of hardship, tests of of, of true trial in our lives sometimes reveal our true friendships. And certainly in this case, it turned out that through death and tragedy, sorrow and suffering, even the selfishness of loneliness, friendship or the lack thereof was revealed. And in each of our lives, we need to be wise enough to recognize, is this person who says they're my friend really my friend? Do they really have my best interest? Even at the cost of maybe themselves, would they still care more for me? Because certainly here, these two ladies, as soon as one lost their child, she's not at all worried about going ahead and transferring her grief to somebody else. She just wants to relieve her own grief at somebody else's cost. That is not a friend. So we learn something about friends. Is that person willing to throw you under the bus just so they would feel a little better? Is that person willing and able and and fully capable within their own moral character to go ahead and sacrifice you to make them feel better? That's not a true friend. Let's look, let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, if you would. And let's learn a few things about friendship. Because I think all of us in our lives, we certainly sometimes struggle with who are our true friends? Who are our real friends? 
Who are those people that stick with us through the very deepest and hardest times, through the, through the worst circumstances? So go with me to Proverbs chapter 27. Look down with me at verse 9. It says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. So he says, you know, better than the sweet odor of ointment, and we've talked about this several times recently, that in ancient days, perfumes and ointments, they were cherished in value because the way people kept themselves clean and smelling good was not by daily showers. Nobody had big jet tubs where they'd get in there and lay back and just let the Calgon take them away. You know, they would do sponge baths with a limited resource of water. So ointments and perfumes, very, very valued, cherished, and enjoyed. He says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Whew, feels good, smells good. He says, so does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. When you have a friend who really cares enough about you to counsel you, to help you, that's a true friend. Because there's lots of people in the world, they'll give you some pretty lousy advice and they don't really care where the chips fall. But a true good friend gives you hearty advice because they love you and care about you. Go with me a little bit farther down in our text. Look with me at verse 10, if you would, here in Proverbs 27. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. I find that to be such an insightful statement. Because what the Bible is saying to you and I is, our neighborhood, if your neighbor was your father's friend, and now they're your friend, if that lifelong friend is a real friend. Better to go to that neighbor in calamity than to go ahead all the way to a faraway brother and say, can you help me? So he's just talking to us about the longevity of a friendship. That friendship that lasts even generational from father to son. He says, that's a valued friendship. We may think our brother or our sister or our cousin or our, our uh, nephew or somebody else, they'll be there for us. But you know, if they live far away, we don't see them every day. They're not put to the test of life every day in our friendship and our relationship. But that person who every day was there, especially in ancient times, they would take their, their sheep and their goats, they would take them together out to pasture. They themselves would work together to keep their wells dug and fresh. They would rejoice with every baby born and mourn with every loss. Generation after generation, he says, that's a friend. 
So we learn some things in the Bible about friendships. Look to, let's go back to Proverbs 27. I want you to look down with me at verse 17. Listen to what he says about friendship here. Every one of us should just hide this in our heart. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now I want you to visualize with me iron sharpening iron. So iron is not like steel. Iron is more porous. It's, it's easily dulled. But iron can go across itself and remove and shape each other. Because iron is coarse and porous. But it requires something. It, it requires friction. It requires somebody taking action to make the edge sharper. So he says, iron will sharpen iron. Well, in your and my life, a true friend sometimes sits us down and says, look, we, we need to work on something here. I'm worried about you. And there may be a little friction but it's because he wants or she wants us to be better off. So maybe they come to you and they say to you, listen, this guy you're dating, not good for you. And the girl says, well, I don't know. He's pretty handsome. Yeah, I know, but you're kind of going downhill. That's a little friction, isn't it? But a true friend cares enough to have that conversation. Or one of your buddies takes you to sign and say, listen, man, you are making some bad choices. You know, the things you're doing, the places you're going, it's not good. It's hurting your marriage. It's, it's hurting your relationship with God. It's hurting your finances. Come on, man. You got to buck up. You got to straighten out. Now, a guy may be a little offended by that. And maybe, maybe it's hard to imagine a guy doing that. Maybe instead it's easier for you to realize, well, the guy says to you, hey, look at man, you need to sharpen your fishing hooks better. You're not, you're not sharpening that hook good. Maybe you can relate to that a little better. But sometimes even guys have to tell guys there are things you need to do to straighten out. Do it better. Stop slacking off. So he says, iron sharpeneth iron. And that's the relationship of a true friend. We learn all of that right there out of Proverbs chapter 27. And certainly these two ladies, one of these friends in no way is trying to give good counsel that would be as a sweet scent. Certainly is not to, trying to be a helping hand. No, she's actually bringing heartache and sorrow to her housemate. And there's no positive influence there. She is willing to throw her friend under the bus, steal her baby, and leave her with a dead baby that's not her own. It is amazing sometimes what false friends will do. It can cut your heart out, can it? It can really, really hurt. As, as this woman realized, it's interesting when you look at the text, and as she speaks to the king, what does she say? She says, only her and I were in the house. There were no strangers in the house. I had a baby. She had a baby three days. She gives every single detail. 
because she has thought about this. She's thought about what has transpired to her, how she's been deceived, how she's been tricked, how she's been hurt. And sometimes that happens with friendships. And we have to be wise enough to step back and look and say, do the math and figure out this person is not good for me. This is not a friend. Now, a true friend, there is no friend that sticketh closer even than like a brother than the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it teaches us that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a sacrifice, a ransom for many. So we find a true friend sacrifices themselves for others. We certainly don't see that in these two ladies' relationship at all. But our Lord is that kind of friend. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be there for us. No matter what the valley, no matter what the mountaintop, no matter what the struggle, he's going to be there. Even in the sorrow of the loss of a child, he's going to be there for us. He is a true friend. John 14 reminds us how the Lord Jesus Christ told us, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will bring you unto myself. He cares about us. He wants to be with us. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants us to be comforted. He says, I give you peace. Not peace as the world giveth, I give you. And so we find that Jesus all the time is trying to give to us that which would lift us up, encourage us, strengthen us, and guide us. He is a true friend. You and I in our Christian circle, we can even say to ourselves, well, I go to church with that person. I'm in their Sunday school class. I go ahead and I, you know, we do the same thing for a living and we have the same hobbies. But that doesn't really make a friend. You really have to make sure that your friendship is genuine and real and it's based upon genuine faith that binds you together. These two ladies, through this test of Solomon's wisdom, they teach us some valuable lessons about friendship. And I challenge you in your life to be mature enough and strong enough to look at your friendships and ask yourself, are these friends true friends or fair weather friends? And cherish, cherish those true friends. But I told you there's two things we're going to learn out of this text. One was lessons on friendship, but the other one is lessons on wisdom itself. So if you'll look back with me in our text of 1 Kings chapter 3, look down again with me at verse 16. It says, Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And then jump down with me, if you would, to verse 23 through 27. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead. And my son is the living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king. For her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, oh my lord, give her the living child. And in no wise slay it. 
But the other said, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. So we learn some things about wisdom itself when we look at this text. First of all, we find that wisdom provides an astute ear for a broken heart. So this woman comes to the king. They're both prostitutes. They come before the king and they lay out this dilemma of children that have died and lived in trickery and deception. Now the king could have looked at these women because this is a king of Israel. These are people who live under the law, the law of the Bible. He could have looked at them and said, aren't you ladies prostitutes? I have no time for prostitutes. I don't want to hear your problems. Your lifestyle is a lifestyle that's abhorrent to me. It's against the biblical laws of the Old Testament. Your problems are self-created. You just need to go and deal with it yourself. Solomon could have done that. But he was wiser than that. We learn a great le lesson about wisdom. Wisdom can't, you know, you have to care about everybody. Wisdom compels you to care about everybody. You can't go ahead and just dismiss people and say, well, they don't fit my idea of what people should be or ought to be, so therefore, I don't care about them. That's, that's not right. You should care. Now, it doesn't mean you have to condone. You don't say, well, that's good. I'm glad this is what you're doing for a living. I hope you succeed. No, that's not at all what the Bible teaches us to do. But we can still care about their circumstances. And Solomon's wisdom compels him to put his ear to hear the broken heart of this woman who's been deceived. When we look in the book of James, in fact, turn with me there if you would. James teaches us quite a bit about wisdom, especially in the New Testament perspective. And so I want you to turn there. We're going to look at some verses uh, both in chapter 1 and then also in chapter 3. But look with me at James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So when we look in this verse, we learn... That wisdom is something that should be desired. Every one of us in this room, we should desire what Solomon had. And we should recognize that it should be part of our prayer life. When God asked Solomon, what do you want? He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for long life. He could have asked for his enemies to be defeated. But he asked the Lord, God give me wisdom. And so he simply teaches us in the New Testament, if any of you lack wisdom, and to be honest with you, I think we all lack a little wisdom. Every single one of us. There's not one of us that don't need a little more wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and doesn't hold back, upbraideth not, is what it says, and it shall be given him. So wisdom, we learn something about wisdom, it should be desired, should be prayed for, should be sought after. Look down with me if you would, and uh, look at James chapter 3, verse 13. 
Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So we've gone over many times that the word conversation in 1611, when your Bible was translated from the Greek and the Hebrew, that word conversation means lifestyle, your whole way of living. So he's saying here that you and I in in our life, when when we are living in wisdom, he says, let us be those people, and I have to get back to my text because my page flipped over when I moved. So when we come down here, he says, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show his wisdom. Let him show it out of a good lifestyle, practice of life, his works with meekness and of wisdom. So you and I, the Bible says, if you think you're wise, your life should show that you are wise. But if your life is a wreck, you're lacking wisdom. If you're finding yourself constantly in a mess, if you're constantly making yourself more trouble than you're solving, he says, you're not wise. Your life should show your wisdom. In fact, look down with me, if you would, a little bit farther in our text. Go down to verse 17. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So that launches us back to our story. Two ladies come into the king, two prostitutes come into the king. And in God's wisdom, he's going to deal with these women's life. And in wisdom, he's going to go ahead and be full of mercy. He's going to do it without partiality. He's going to deal with their problem. And in you and my life, we encounter all kinds of people in our lives. And to be honest with you, they all need the wisdom of God. They all need the hope that could be found in Christ. No matter what you do for a living or where you go, there are people all around you that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I read an interesting statistic this week about Vermont, and let it fall where it may, because I, I never know where people fall politically, but it was an enlightening thing for me to read. Vermont is the only state in all of America where the current president has over 50% saying they approve the job he's doing. So Vermont is the only state where they have polled and over 50% say, we love the job this guy is doing. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? I say that because where you work and the people you work with, you might look at them and you might say to yourself, They're not like me. Now, maybe they are, but maybe they're not. So you you look and you say, politically, they're so different than the rest of the country. And maybe you, but that doesn't mean you don't care about them. That doesn't mean that you don't reach out, try to help them. 
That doesn't mean you don't try to share with them the wisdom of God. You don't write them off because they're this party or that party. You don't write them off because they're this lifestyle or that lifestyle. I read in the Addison Independent this afternoon while I was sitting and reading, I read that Ferrisburg and one other town in our county is wanting to go ahead and make it legal to sell marijuana as a, like, a dispenser. Bristol. Is it Ferrisburg and Bristol? Want to go ahead and, and do that. Now, for me personally, I look at all of that stuff and I think, what is wrong with us? We have drunk driving, we have opiate addictions, we have, surely we don't need more access to mind-altering substances. That's my personal opinion. I think the Bible tells us to avoid those things that alter our soundness. But, maybe you live next door to the guy who's thinking, what a cash cow. If I could just sell pot, I'd be a millionaire. You might think to yourself, are you crazy? They still need to be loved, cared for, ministered to. It doesn't matter. And I, that's just an illustration I'm giving you because for me, I think it's all crazy. But we still have to care. We still have to have, have a heart to give them the wisdom of God in their life. Help them, guide them. Look with me, if you would, to James chapter one. I, had, I moved from James, but I'm gonna go back to it really quick. James chapter one, and I want you to look down with me at verse 19. And here's another verse that just teaches us about wisdom. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. You see, that's part of wisdom. Just learning to listen. So what did he say we need to be swift to do? To hear. So these two women come into Solomon, and let's face it, folks, Solomon's a busy guy. He is the king. He's got people constantly wanting to talk to him. And he could have cut them off because they were women. He could have said, I only listen to men today. Or he could have said, oh, you ladies, you know, you're all a bunch of drama. You've got new babies. You're hormonal, blah, blah. He could have done all kinds of stupid and foolish things, couldn't he? That's not what he did. What did he do? <coughs> he listened. He listened to every detail. Every detail. You see, we should be swift to hear. Swift to hear. Husbands, I'm telling you, you need to learn to listen. Ladies, learn to listen. Mom and dad, learn to listen. Kids, learn to listen. There is a tool that will help you throughout your whole life if you have honed the skill of listening to others. And Solomon does that. He listens, just as James says that we should. When we look that wisdom is something to be desired, something to be revealed in our lifestyle, day-by-day day practice, and yes, something that manifests the skill and ability to listen. Wisdom also recognizes situations properly. 
can evaluate. And that's exactly what Solomon did. He looked at this. I mean, this is a pretty bizarre situation. I've never encountered anything like it in my lifetime. Maybe you have, but I have not. And so it comes in and, but Solomon listens and he, he, he listens to the details of it. And he accumulates the, the, uh, the weight of the tragedy. He, he takes it and he bundles it up so that he can absorb it and comprehend it. Maybe empathy. And even instead of sympathy, maybe he looked at his own life and he thought, look at how this has happened to me and that has happened to me. And that's, I can imagine the sorrow and the heartache of this woman who woke up in the morning, her baby's dead. But then as the light comes, it's not her baby. Can you imagine the betrayal, the devastation? Somehow he took and that became a part of him. He recognized the tragedy in its reach into her life. And he had to evaluate. So he takes action. He's going to protect that life. I often try to remind our church that we are, we as a church are pro-life. We value life. It's not that we don't. It's not that we aren't touched by what happens to other people. I am. I have compassion for somebody who is raped. I have compassion for a young lady who finds herself in a situation which she just didn't anticipate. But that doesn't mean I can dismiss an unborn life. And why? Why is that? Well, let's look at a couple things because Solomon is not going to just dismiss this situation. He could have easily said, guards, take these ladies out of here. Kill that baby. He could have done that. He had the power of that. It's not like a president. He is the king. He can do anything. But that he cares about life. Look with me, if you would, at Psalms, uh, Psalm 139. And it's good for us to remind ourselves as a church your state of Vermont is getting ready to make it uh, a constitutional right to go ahead and kill the babies in the womb. And I want you to look here that God really does care about the babies in the womb. Psalm 139, look at verses 13 and 14. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. So the psalmist says, God, thank you, praise you. Praise thee that, that within my mother's womb, you had control of all that was developed and made. You knew me even while I was in the womb. Why are we so pro-life? Because every life is a gift from God. I want you to look at another text with me, if you would. Turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. So Solomon, he understood the value of this child. He was touched by the sorrow and grief of this mother. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at verses 4 down through 6. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. 
Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So interesting when you look here, the prophet says, God, you knew me. You knew me in the womb. You called me to my life's calling before I was born. And the prophet says, I'm not worthy, Lord. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. God says, no, you will do this. This is what I have for you. So for you and I in our lives, you look at your life and you begin to understand, you know what? God made, made me to be who I am. Made me to be who I am. Carter is made to be a stonemason. Look at the guy. He was born with a 30-pound rock in his hand. The doctor said, where'd that come from? Each of us. It's amazing how that God took us and, and he knew while we were still in the womb what he had for us. Every life is precious. Every life should be preserved and protected. It's not that we don't have compassion. We do have compassion for, for people's circumstances. But my compassion for one doesn't give me the right to take the life of another. So here we find Solomon. We find him in the midst of this dilemma. He has these two women. Not the ideal kind of situation. But he is touched by their sorrow, and he is moved by the plight of this baby. And we learn so much about people. Because he simply says, bring me a sword. Cut the baby in half. Give each of them a half. And you might think to yourself, ooh, man, that's pretty harsh justice, isn't it? Well, it's, it's not harsh justice if you're the woman who lost your baby and you're willing to steal another lady's baby, and you don't care about how much sorrow and grief it brought, that's, yeah, cut the baby in half. But the mom, who this is really her child, she does not want to see that happen. And she says, wait, wait, don't kill the child. Let her have the baby. Please don't kill the baby. And Solomon says, there you go. There you go. There's the mom. Give her the baby. She's the mother of the baby. Wisdom is such a powerful tool in each of our lives. It's such a powerful tool in the direction of our lives, in the dealings of our lives, raising of our children, our families. All of it requires wisdom every single day. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The beginning of wisdom is the knowledge of God. Why do we step back and look at the world we live in and say, what has happened? What is the madness of the day we live in? The madness is the denial of God. 
Wisdom begins with the understanding that there is a God Almighty who is the creator of all things. And we look to him for his guidance, his leadership, his laws. We have a world today who has lost sight of wisdom itself. The tragic thing about that is they stand up and say, look at us, we are the most wise. You who know God, you're fools. But the Bible says, no, no, wait a minute. The beginning of wisdom is the acknowledgement of the creator God. So tonight, my goal, my objective was for us to go back in the Bible and learn some lessons. Yes, about friendship, but also about wisdom. And I challenge you, challenge you to, to go even as the book of James says and ask God, God, give me more wisdom. I need wisdom. This morning as we were leaving, and I was shaking people's hands who wanted to shake hands, and, and I'm okay if you don't want to shake hands. I'm, I'm okay either way. But as people were leaving, I was chatting with folks, and somehow, just out of the clear blue, it came up about the amount of children these two ladies came from in their families, one, one right after another. And one of them came from a family of 11 kids. And the next lady, she said, well, I, 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 I think there was only eight kids. So she kind of said, said it like, well, you know, it wasn't that big. I'm thinking, eight kids. Wow. I raised two, and to be honest, it was all I could handle. Never mind eight. Never mind 11. But isn't it amazing? Isn't the gift of life so amazing? I'll guarantee you those parents, they love every one of those little souls. 11, 8, 5, Jenny, 15, she's working the numbers. You know, keep figuring out how much can Kelsey make? How many can I have? I'm just teasing. She's sitting out there on the couch. Poor Kelsey, I saw him look down. <laughs> But you know, when we look at this, we learn some things about the preciousness of life itself. But it's all about wisdom. We live in a crazy world today. Let's be a spark of wisdom in a very dark and crazy world. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you that we could come and look into your holy word. I pray that you be with us. Help us to be wise. Help us to be wise in choosing our friends and the influence that they have in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be wise, that we might be that salt of the earth, that candle on the hilltop. Help us to do our part, Lord, for you to have an influence in this very dark world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming out tonight.